Welcome to the BabeCast. I'm your host, Dr. Babe. Now, this is a podcast for both men and women about cutting-edge ideas on love, sex, relationships, even mental health, wellness, and all things self-development. My purpose is to help you get connected with your best self, to take ownership of your happiness and find true success. So, who's Dr. Babe? I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and a licensed mental health counselor with a doctorate in marriage and family counseling. I'm the host of Love Life TV show and your love, sex, and relationship doctor. To find out more about me, log on to drbabelovelife.com. And if you have any comments or questions you'd like me to address in upcoming episodes, or you just prefer to talk directly, there's a convenient Ask Dr. Babe tab right there on the top of the website. Okay, let's get intimate. First, let me introduce our guest for today's episode, Dr. Tammy Lewis-Wilborn. She is a licensed professional counselor, a board-approved clinical supervisor, and a nationally certified counselor. She's a visiting assistant professor of counseling in the Department of Educational Leadership, Counseling, and Foundations at the University of New Orleans, owner and chief clinical officer of Wilborn Clinical Services, a private practice based in New Orleans that provides clinical mental health counseling, clinical supervision, continuing education, and consultation. Dr. Wilborn is the founder of the Black Women's Wellness Conference, an annual conference held in New Orleans, Louisiana, to promote mental health and well-being in black women. And the second conference just happened this past weekend, January 13th, and it was a huge success. She has almost 20 years experience as a professional counselor, providing individual group and family counseling to a diverse clientele of children, adolescents and adults, and specializes in child and adolescent trauma. She's an experienced clinical consultant for nonprofit agencies and a media expert on child and adolescent trauma and mental health. She can be heard contributing her clinical expertise as a weekly co-host on the Good Life radio show on WBOK 1230 AM. Dr. Wilborn currently serves as the president-elect of the Louisiana Association of Counselor Education and Supervision and is a member of both the American Counseling Association and the Louisiana Counseling Association. She also regularly presents at national, regional, state, and local professional conferences. Wow. She is a very impressive friend, colleague, and professional. And I am excited to have her on the show today. Um, Now, on this episode, we kind of went all over the place, but we have similar training. We went to uh, school together. We did our master's together, and she's a very good friend of mine. Um, we've known each other and stayed close since then. And in this conversation, we we kind of start off um, with her experience um, in with discrimination, which is actually what her dissertation, her doctoral research was based on. So we get a little bit of an overview of what that me-search was uh, and looking at ter- stereotypes and diversity themes. Uh, we talk a little bit about her conference and her focus on wellness with black women and women overall. And we also get to talking about some professional and personal boundary issues in reaching for success. So I I really appreciated the conversation that we had and hopefully we have many more. Uh, But I also thought that this was a very fitting topic to release on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So um, we welcome Dr. Tammy Wilborn onto the BabeCast. We start off today's discussion with Dr. Wilborn talking about her dissertation research. My dissertation looked at the experiences of low-income black women with their experiences with race and gender stereotypes at work. And what's interesting about that research is 
all that research is that it really started out as me search. It was um, me coming off of, or in the midst of rather, a really painful work experience where I'd worked for a company for a long time, had worked my way up, and found myself being discriminated against, essentially. Um, you know, there were a series of actions that were taken against me that didn't have any true uh, objective basis for those for those appraisals and some of the things that happened and and for me what was left was this is this is discrimination and so um i think in addition to the just the painfulness of being discriminated against i think that experience raised the question of if this can happen to me you know me this educated you know woman experience on and so forth this this person with resources this person with um a willingness to voice and advocate for herself what does that look like for women who are maybe not working in high status positions who are mm -hmm. you know just average working class women just trying to take care of their families what are their experiences like um what are the experiences like of the women that i came from right my background is working class and so the research started as me search and um the you know what it what it yielded what i ultimately sort of walked away from that experience is that stereotypes and perceptions of people in particular black women affect their ability to be hired affect their ability to be retained affect their ability to be promoted ultimately if it affects experiences of discrimination termination so on and so forth and oftentimes those experiences were attached to, again, stereotypes, you know, that are rooted in a history of oppression and, you know, slavery um, and perpetuated by contemporary mediums like film and music. And you know, my, my research really kind of was far reaching mm -hmm. and, and, and pulling together all of these uh, systemic pieces, starting with slavery and then sort of reaching into um, what are those in contemporary things that allow these stereotypes to persist. And so, um, it, it, you know, it, it was it was um, it was really interesting, I guess, in terms of the things that I found, the types of stereotypes that these women reported that they experienced, the types of experiences that they had also the the effect of those experiences on their family obligations so on and so forth um so it, it it was it was a rich it was a rich research project and it um it certainly confirmed my experience or, mm -hmm. i don't know if i want to say confirmed but it certainly resonated with my experience even though here i was a doctoral student in a lot of ways far removed from some of these participants but in a lot of ways, our experience very much the same. Um, and so, you know, I'm in the process of writing that up to get it published, but it, yeah. I know it's kind of like a little bit of a tangent. I think that it is a good segue into like the different ways that gender and race affect boundaries and affect relationships, mm -hmm. really, and how to distinguish between personal and professional. Um, and how, I mean, it's necessary, but it, it is a, a difficult, nuanced, I think, um, just something that we have to do in order to persevere and to be able to, to, to be well and maintain mm -hmm. that level of 
um, healthy relationships, whether it is, you know, at work or at home. Mm -hmm. um, and how do we navigate those? How do we compartmentalize and turn on and off those different roles that we function in? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like, I think it is difficult for people to talk about those things, mm -hmm. even though they're so relevant in our interactions that we don't always bring them up and, mm -hmm. and to the forefront. So, I mean, I probably think that was at least good that you had that conversation um, with the colleague that you were talking about, because I think it would have been worse if, if it didn't get brought, brought up um, and it was left unsaid and unclarified. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and you know, again, kind of going back to the with the my research and and I think you know all of the rich meaning that I walked away from is just the 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 conscious the the covert and overt ways in which race, gender, and all of the other social identities sort of intersect in the way that people perceive and treat you right because again kind of going back to that conversation if 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 I was a white male I don't have to have the conversation necessarily around boundaries because my boundaries are already set for me right there's a there's a certain amount of privilege that I get to operate from that I can take for granted that when I say I am Dr. Wilborn people are gonna respect that, right? Because there's a privilege attached to the social identity that is white and male. But because I am black and female, I occupy two of the bottommost spaces in the social hierarchy of race and gender, right? And so people who are operating in spaces that are, um, whose identities are marginalized, mm often have to engage in those conversations and set boundaries because they don't have the privilege and the benefit of their social position to protect them, right? They, they, cannot, mm -hmm. uh, they don't have built-in safety or because of where they are positioned socially. Whose responsibility do you feel that is? Do you feel it's you the mean? person's responsibility to assert those boundaries or, yeah, I guess assert those boundaries or do you feel that it's discriminatory to have privilege in and of itself does that make sense yeah I don't think so I mean I think I think the thing that we need to understand about privilege is for one it's unearned I think a lot of times we talk about privilege as or, or at least in the social context we tend to talk about privilege as this sort of uh, earned posi social position but privilege is often unearned right mm -hmm. so as a person who's able-bodied I didn't earn my able-bodied privilege. I just, I can, it's, I just have it, mm -hmm. right? And so I can navigate my world. I can navigate this world not having to think about um, some of the challenges that people who are not able-bodied have to. I can just right. take for granted that the world is set up for me to navigate in it easily. And you're right-handed. And... I'm right-handed <laughs> and um, I'm heterosexual, you know, all of right. those ideas. And so the interesting thing about privilege is that we all have it, mm -hmm. right? We all have privilege. So I have able, I have ability privilege, you know, I have sexual orientation privilege. Intelligence. So, intelli right. That's pretty genetic. Yeah, yeah. that's sort of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. static Education for the most part. is earned, but yeah. intelligence, not so much. I guess I inherited that. Mm -hmm. um, but um, 
And so privilege in and of itself is not a bad thing. But I think what happens is if it's unchecked, it can lead to bad actions mm -hmm. and, and it can lead to uh, the dismissiveness. It can lead to oppression. It can lead to uh, disregard for other people's for those differences, right? For those people who don't look like, don't act like, don't sound like you, mm -hmm. it can create spaces for discrimination to, to occur if you don't recognize. And I think a lot of times when, when, when we talk about this whole notion of privilege, um, people often get this sense of guilt and shame around it because you'll have, it's like, well, I the don't- defensiveness. Yeah, there's a defensiveness that takes place because nobody wants to be accused of being an oppressive person or right. a bad person. And so there's this, automatic desire to protect yourself and go well I'm not that person and it's it, it it's understandable for somebody to take that perspective but what needs to then happen is for the person to recognize the ways in which whether they want to or not you benefit from that social positioning. Mm -hmm. So it's not about discarding the social position, but it's about recognizing where your position and how your position gives you an advantage over people who don't have the same kind of positioning that you have and how do you from your social position create more opportunities for equality and justice and so on and so forth and not be the transgressor transgressor going forward right rather than focusing on oh well I'm not like those people historically you're not you benefit but if you're not aware of how you benefit mm. then you can be those people going forward <laughs> I mean, and, and as clinicians, you and I both know that there is a sort of that there are these sort of stages of change, right? To some degree, I mean, we know stages are often fluid and not linear, and people go forward and they kind of regress. But you know, it, it, oftentimes, and even when we think about again, kind of going back to counseling again, and sort of identity development and how we think people's identity tend to develop along this trajectory, people, if those cold spots are less receptive to being open to um, having their worldviews checked and challenged and having their truths dismantled because it's scary, right? It's scary to think that the thing that you have believed to be your big T truth is probably not very true or at best it's just a little t truth, right? It's not. It's not like the truth. Mm -hmm. It is just yours. Mm -hmm. um, and and it's and particularly if it's not replaced with how to be in the world with this new understanding, right? right. And so a lot of times, what tends to happen is we kind of want to ram these truths down people's throats, and they're like, "Okay, I I can't conceptualize or do anything with it because I don't know how to be now, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know." And I, I see this even with. Well, my students, I mean, you know, my perspective in the classroom is teaching them, you know, you all are coming to grad school for my master's students because you want to be professional counselors. And you and I know this because we went through that transformative process ourselves as grad students in counseling, that they are coming in with worldviews that obviously don't reflect the counseling values and are having to grapple with challenging replacing you know challenging and replacing those to be in a profession that is open and inclusive and 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 you know you have students that say i'm bought into this but how do i do that you know how do i how can i be um 
multiculturally competent or be this advocate for all people it sounds good theoretically but in practice what do I do and I think that's usually what happens in just regular conversations is that even in the warm spots people with the warm spots they may be open to the dialogue but are still left with how do I engage in a way that reflects that my worldview world is now changed mm -hmm. and do we have an answer for that but the action steps for doing that? Well, I think we have some ideas. Um, it, it makes me think of a conversation you and I were having last night, you know, amongst a, a group of other women. And one thing that came up that seemed clear is that fear tends to reside in darkness and in limited exposure, right? And I think a lot of times these ideas are insular because they're not exposed to um disconfirming information right if you live in your little pocket of the world and you are not exposed to other people and other beliefs and other values then oftentimes um your view your views are not they're not challenged and not mm -hmm. checked unchecked and so i think exposure is one way i think one of the things that my research kind of found not explicitly but it was implicit in that stereotypes are able to be perpetuated of a group of individuals when people have limited exposure mm -hmm. to 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 highlight these individuals in different ways um and so it, it's 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 critical i think for people to have more exposure to diverse perspectives diverse uh, viewpoints, diverse people. Mm -hmm. um, if your if your experience, if your life, if your lived experience looks like you, and there is not diversity in it, mm -hmm. you are less likely to be open to dialogues about why diversity is important in the first place. And listen, the the, the truth of the matter is, we are biologically wired to be diverse. Mm -hmm. That's why we are diverse in in appearance and in in abilities and so on and so forth. So diversity is inherently a part of who we are as people. We were not wired to not be diverse. Mm -hmm. So we're actually kind of going, it's, it's sort of counter <laughs> to even how we are as, as beings. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, I think the diversity conversation is, is important, but I think, yes, bracketed with the sameness too, because as much as we are different, there are certain things that maybe more objective truths I feel mm -hmm. um, so it depends on what we're comparing I guess and if we're talking about gender um, or or you know ethnicity race um, sexuality various different things but uh, going back to gender and relationships um, I think that it's again it's tricky because if if we're talking about women and the women's role in a, in a relationship and a, a man and a man's role in a relationship so we're we're diverse we're two different types of people um but at the same time there may be certain things that are similar mm -hmm. across um that so i don't know like stereotypes i think have a utility i i feel like the stereotype of things that are, are predominantly masculine or things that are predominantly feminine, which is what I talk about a lot, uh, can be helpful, I think, in mm -hmm. the context of diversity, to sure. look at it as a holistic sort of image. Um, but yeah, it's not necessarily easy to 
I guess, assign a, a, an ideal to, to everyone. It has to be on a case-by-case -case basis, mm -hmm. and the couple, um, the family, needs to sort of negotiate that together. Um, but at the same time, I do think that it's important to, to sort of use those stereotypes whatever is helpful or useful about those stereotypes as well and not completely focus on too much on I guess individualization if that makes sense because I feel like individualization is almost like the opposite of stereotyping because that's in groups right in grouping mm -hmm. versus I guess um just individual diversity because mm -hmm. I think that's how far diversity goes is it makes every single person different right mm -hmm. I don't know I think it's I think that I think avoiding the focus on individual is is um, is the appropriate balance to stereotypes because stereotypes are typically assigning group identity to individuals mm -hmm. right without recognition that that individual may have membership in a group but groups are not monolithic that there's much there's much more diversity within group than there are cross groups and so the cross group stuff is what you're talking about that's the that's those universal truths if that if we could say that that exists across groups right so across groups there are those things that happen to everybody regardless of who you're talking about you know we're all born we all die well I guess it depends on who you talk to about that right but um and so you know we all have certain biological processes right. that we experience and so you know we all have some sense you know there are these existential things themes that I think all of us regardless of who you're talking about we might label it differently, but we all experience it. Joy, sadness, you know, things like that. Right. So there are those yeah. things that are universal. And then there are some, exp and then there are those things that are individual and unique to individuals, mm -hmm. right? And so even going back to the gender piece, let's talk about that and just kind of see what comes from that. But, you know, there is, there are certain things that are true for females, right? Mm -hmm. that regardless of other social identities it is true that most females will experience you know female sort of things right? I don't want to just say that and then there is a qualitative difference I think between females who are born with certain social identities so I don't think that black women's lived experience for example is the same necessarily as white women's lived experiences mm -hmm. or you know other women of color or um be because race makes that lived experience different um and so while gender might be the unifying social you know construct or social identity race makes difference mm -hmm. in that way and so I think going back to your point it's not so much that stereotypes or these group assignments are necessarily problematic but what gets problematic is these assumptions that an individual who holds a membership in a particular group is like everybody in the group and that's mm -hmm. not true right and 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 this is uh, I guess an argument that I've put forward before that I think when because you know we are all both both of us are advocates we're we're it's important to us to create opportunities for positive lived experiences for people that we work with and just as a person i think both of us um sort of strive to bring 
that type of, of, of wellness and, and success and healthy living to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that people get caught up on, on equality in, by sort of misattributing the definition or the purpose of it because what we're talking about, diversity, is important to acknowledge and I think mm-hmm. to maintain that yeah that diversity is something that is is not necessarily a bad thing it's not necessarily um, something to to prevent or to minimize so if we talk focus too much on equality we're actually doing the opposite it's almost like what do we mean by equality mm-hmm. do we mean that everyone is the same or do we mean that we do not want to be prejudicial to people based on their differences? Mm-hmm. And I think people get that mixed up. I think I think that's true. And I think for me, what I when I think of equality, I mean equal access. I think for me, equal equality is about equal and fair access to opportunities, resources, um, based on based on rights. You know that the. the going back to that that where we are all the same mm-hmm. human rights mm-hmm. right the fact that because i am a human or even let's just take it legal because i am a citizen mm-hmm. i have certain rights as a, that that's attached to my citizenship mm-hmm. and because of who i am my rights my access to resources you know last night we were talking about education my access to education my access to you know, fair, uh, adequate housing, my access to job opportunities, my access shouldn't be different because of who I am. That's what I mean when I say equality. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, the, the idea of the equality in my thoughts isn't dismissive or counter to diversity, mm-hmm. but rather equality recognizes that we are diverse mm-hmm. And because we are diverse, some people's lived experiences are different and unfairly so, and their citizenship looks different and right. it shouldn't. Yes. And I, and I, and I think that for some reason, I see people missing that point. Like it's almost like they've, they've gotten so caught up in the movement of social justice mm-hmm. warriorism that they're really trying to make men and women or different races the same. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that does us any service, really. I think it's dangerous. Yeah, I do think it's dangerous as well. And, and with, I mean, gender, obviously, as well. There's so much androgyny now. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are, there are diverse um, incidences, mm-hmm. right, where we can say scientifically this person is intersex. Sure. I get that. But yes. the sort of... Mm, emotional selection of gender and um, whether it's gender roles or sexual orientation or whatever part of sexuality we're talking about, that does begin to dilute Mm -hmm. certain diversities um, into creating this androgyny of the human race, which Mm -hmm. I think, like you said, we were built to be diverse. Sure. Yeah. So it, it just goes in so many different areas and I know we're, we're, we're exploring a lot of broad topics, but, um, I think it's just really it's a it's a rare conversation to have so I, I think it's it's helpful you know I think to explore those those ideas and um, you know bringing it back to your experience I guess like in your experience of all the things that you're doing because you've got 
the conference next week. Mm -hmm. So it's the Black Women's mm -hmm. Wellness Conference. Mm -hmm. The second annual Black Women's Wellness Conference, yes. And do you have a, a theme or a topic? Mm -hmm. So the theme of the conference is reclaiming our bodies, renewing our minds, reconnecting our spirits. I then went out and found people who represented those topics. Amazing. So what is your goal in putting this conference out there in the community in yes. New Orleans? Really my goal, um, I think, is, I would say, sort of threefold. Um, my goal is to teach and educate uh, black women in particular about those things, those, in this case, physical health, those factors that contribute to the challenges that we have with our bodies, um, you know, particularly physical health. Um, and so making sure that people understand that the you know the things that we that are happening to our bodies are things that we can do something about that these things aren't just poor luck of the draw right or oh i'm in new orleans and we just eat this way and so this is just how i'm gonna be but rather there are actual things that are contributing to how your body is or how you're feeling about your body that you can do something about, right? Mm -hmm. So there's an education, come on. I want people to learn those factors that are keeping us from being well. But then the other thing that I think is important as a goal is I want these women to feel um, empowered. I mean, I think that's where the whole notion around reclaiming is about. Reclaiming is about empowerment. It's about recognizing that uh, wellness is an active thing that you can do something about. Um, and it's not just about praying about it, right? It kind of makes me think about the conversation we were having last night. Not saying that there's anything wrong with prayer. I think prayer has its place. But I also think that the balance of prayer is you also knowing mm -hmm. that you can do something about your health and, and take it under your control. So there's an empowerment piece to it. So to, to bring it to action. Yeah, to bring it to action because wellness is action. Mm -hmm. It's active. It's active choices that you make. And in that way, it's, um, it's not a movement, right? That's, that's the thing that I, I want people to really be clear about this is that um, wellness, in my thoughts, is not a movement. It's a lifestyle, right? Movements are like waves. They come and go. To be well is not about, oh, this is the fad right now and I'm just, you know. No, this is, if you want to live, and have and be um, happy and you know have a life that is fulfilling and and healthy and meaningful it is ongoing mm -hmm. and you have to be on this active journey so the empowerment is about active choices to be well and and how to do that right so the women that are speaking are not only giving us factors about what keeps us from being well but they're also giving us tips and tools and strategies and then the last thing I would say is inspiration I think that there's something inspiring about uh, one being in a room full of of women who are all motivated by the same goal i think or at least you know looking for the same experience and so um being amongst a collective group of women who are you know getting together and talking and dialoguing and learning together I think there's something inspirational about that but i think it's also inspirational to sit down and listen to women who are professionals and or experts in their fields tell teach them mm -hmm. about them right and so seeing people who look like them talking to them teaching them I think there's something inspirational about that there's mm -hmm. some symbolism that's valuable in that experience so um, I, I would say the last thing is to 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 walk away feeling inspired 
and particularly feeling inspired to continue their journey of what must I do to be well, right? right. Like I want people that like that's sort of the if there was a question, that's the conference question. Like what must I do to be well? And be curious and open to the answers that come from that conference, but also be willing to continue to search for the answers after the conference. Mm. Yeah, and, and and that sounds like we need to continue doing that. So I hope that you, you have like a very uh, long life with your conference. Yes, and me too. <laughs> the sequence, the series continues. Um, but you know, I think that even just thinking about pondering that question myself and and about relationships and I think that's partly what I'm doing as well in Dr. Babe um, is representing that holistic framework in which to be a successful and happy woman um, from my background and creating that hopefully I like to inspire people to not feel like they have to pick and choose who the, or what they have to be or prioritize in their life, that they can say, okay, well, I'm a professional um, who strives to, to you know, succeed in my career, but it doesn't mean that I have to give up you know, happiness as a, as a woman, as a partner, as a spouse, as you know, just a, 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 yeah, like being feminine. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what the babe part is about, is being able to have, have it all, you know? And, I guess that's somewhat an equalizing of my lack of privilege as not being a man, because men seem to be able to have it all mm -hmm. if they choose to. Um, and so I find that if we talk about movements, that f feminist movement kind of brought us into the empowerment of being professionally successful, but at the sacrifice of being successful as a woman. It's almost like we've had to become more masculine to be professionally successful. But how do we now correct that by creating the balance between our professional success and our domestic lives and femininity as a woman, mm -hmm. not losing sight of that as well? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if, if there's a parallel there as well. I know you said you had a sexual health person, mm -hmm. but I think you know, that that is a strong component um, that could be brought forward as well, maybe in conversations as uh, being a black woman, but also being a professional woman um, and maintaining that womanhood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think also maintaining a womanhood that reflects who I am. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, part of the, the challenge that I've seen, again, in people trying to um, make sense of who they are and answer the question of who am I is trying to sort through messages of who they should be versus the people that they feel that they are right the person that they in their bodies at that moment feel that they are and so you know when I think about my own self as a professional woman in a relationship I had to be very clear that um, my professional career was a priority um, and that meant that there were times when I wasn't going to be able to be uh, home and do some of the domestic stuff. And, you know, so you're looking for somebody to cook every day. That's not going to work when I'm out of the house in the evenings for times a week because I'm teaching and, you know, I have a practice and doing all this other stuff. And so I think um, 
to the to the point that I'm making and to the point rather that you are making, I think is also being able to deconstruct some of that messaging around what does it mean to be a woman? Sure. Right? Or what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be in a relationship for me? Mm-hmm. Right. I know what the folks say it should be, but what does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. And 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 being willing to be honest about that with the person that you are partnering with and not try to be that because that's what you think you need to be in relationship because I think that's what usually brings about the demise is that people don't do they don't deconstruct and then reconstruct for themselves what does it mean to be and so they come in with some version of them that's not truly authentic and then once the relationship kind of becomes uh, you know, starts to sort of take off, and then they're like, "Well, this is who I really am." And the person's like, "Uh, no, that is not what I signed up for." <laughs> and now you've got, you know, you've got people that are dissatisfied and you know unfulfilled because they weren't honest, mm-hmm. right? They were they were being some masked version of themselves, and then now the mask is off because now you want to be close, and the other and the other person's like, "Well, that's not who you were before." And now there's a lot of confusion. So I think part of the success in partnerships and in relationships and relationships of any type, right? I think this is true from relationships of any type. If we're talking about professional relationship or um, any kind of relationship is, is having a true sense of your identity in that relationship, right? right? So intimate relationship, professional relationship, kind of going back to the conversation we were having off offline about, you know, us as is is um doctors right and and being willing to assert that professional identity and that professional boundary it's not about i'm trying to be we're not trying to be hard when we're doing that or one up you or one up you (laughs) or or or, yeah it's not a i'm not trying to i'll just stick with that one up you but rather this is just who i am Mm -hmm. right like this is what i earn i earn this professional identity and therefore, I am putting that boundary in place, and it's not really about you as much as it is about this is this is just who I am. But a lot of people are willing to do that. That's very true. They have the, the, there's a discomfort around that. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to see you the way they want to see you. Mm-hmm. And they put you into the box that they prefer. I think the point of what you're saying that I think is def- definitely true about what I'm saying is that. First of all, you have to know yourself, right? You, you you have to be clear about who you are. In other words, what I like to call that is you have to have self-vision. You have to be clear about in your vision. If you think about vision as 2020 and 2020 is perfect, if we go with that, that part of that 20 is you're clear about you as, a, as an individual, right? That there's this introspective space that you exist in that recognizes your abilities, your limitations, your identity, what's important to you, what's not your value, like that space that's just all about you. And then the other side of that is the other, right? So the partner, society, like going away from you. So that's all of the other perspective. That to be well, there has to be a balance of who you are, what you want, what you stand for, and also this recognition that as we were talking or listening to earlier, um, kind of listened to um, an earlier conversation that we are relational beings. Mm-hmm. And so we have to consider ourselves ourselves within the context of the relationships that we're in and be willing to be honest about mm-hmm. what it is, whether you subscribe to traditional values or not. You right. know, you still need to be clear about who you are. I mean, there's some very sort of 
um, practical examples of that. Um, for instance, someone I know who is very comfortable in her masculine, right? Mm -hmm. So she's in a masculine profession. She is a, is a very strong, fit athlete. Um, and she takes a very I wear the pants role mm -hmm. and to me that's a, a dominant controlling masculine role right mm -hmm. um, in the relationship and identifies as the non-emotional one the more logical one so in this case one she'll act very masculine just in her day-to-day -day interactions with her partner and with others you know let's say you know just not necessarily pleasant things but um, being derogatory, making sarcastic snide remarks, belching, you know, just acting very, just stereotypically masculine mm -hmm. in the relationship. And I think that that erodes um, the health of a heterosexual male-female relationship over time, um, if not right away, but especially like acknowledging that those things don't make you empowered. Right, you do, doing those things is not what makes you a successful, powerful woman. Mm -hmm. But the belief—it sounds like the belief is there that it does. I think it's a defensiveness, and that's my point. Is that yeah. I think a lot of just women in this case, if we're talking about this particular marginalized group, mm -hmm. the reaction sociologically has been to empower ourselves to be defensively mm -hmm. masculine, mm -hmm. and that we need to to make sure that it's authentic and then check ourselves and recognize when it's actually not it's a, it's not necessarily healthy mm -hmm. or or advisable to promote those characteristics in your relationship it might be okay to say okay i'm gonna talk crudely and belch and whatever else um when i'm with certain people at a certain time doing certain things mm -hmm. but i'm not going to do it in the sanctity of my partnership mm -hmm. where it it affects the the man in my relationship mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you see what i'm saying mm -hmm. so that's the practical application of what i was mm -hmm. saying before theoretically mm -hmm. yeah well and i think you know again it goes back to some of those what we've been talking about earlier just those viewpoints and those assumptions that you know in order to be empowered i have to disempower you right right and and be disrespectful mm -hmm. and and I think that's, for me, it doesn't reflect a healthy balance of self-vision because a person who is empowered and a person who is clear about who they are and, you know, who they are is not necessarily being contingent upon somebody else's perception of them or treatment of them, but that they have a sense of who they are, you know, others notwithstanding. They don't have to do that, right? I don't have to build power or have my power rest in disempowering you and or I, removing your womanhood yeah or that's what i'm saying yes yeah 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 and and again obviously we're talking about a clear sect of women because there's people who don't conform to any of that right so i think part of this conversation too is understanding that we are bracketing women who identify a certain way with feminine you know uh, qualities and identify as you know, we're talking about a specific group of women because there are some women who would listen to this and go, "She's not talking about me at all, right?" Or they're not talking about me at all. Um, but my, I guess my point is, I agree insofar as there 
there tends to be these extremes and, and that's not the balance. The, the balance is not, I have to go so far over here away from who I am to feel empowered, but rather, in other words, it's not either or, right? I can be both empowered and be feminine and not be, you know, disempowering to other people. So, but a lot of that comes from self-exploration and self-reflection and the willingness to be open to what you find about yourself. And I think a lot of times the whole power by the power dynamic and relationship is people are, you know, unafraid. They're afraid to do that. They're afraid to, to be honest with themselves about who they are as people and what they see. And a lot of times present something to somebody else that's not authentic. And then the relationship kind of goes to the wayside because they're not honest about who they are and what they want. And so the relationship doesn't stay and then have a solid foundation. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, how would you assess, you know, yourself in doing all of this, like balancing your work and your relationship and what you want, you know, going forward? How would I assess myself? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Well, do you think that, what do you, what is sort of your plan going forward to continue growth in your ability to balance yourself as a partner, a spouse, professional woman, mm-hmm. black woman? <laughs> That's a lot to juggle, isn't it? <laughs> um, I think for me, my, if I could think of a plan or if I have a plan, I think my plan is to and I've been this person and I think I'm going to continue to just be just to for, first check in with me to make sure that I'm doing my part to make sure that um, I am okay just as a person. Because I, I think as a, you know, to operate in the space where I have multiple obligations to multiple people, I think it's easy to forget myself in that and get caught up in all of all of the craziness of of having these multiple obligations and so my plan is to continue to check in with me and make sure that I am okay and taking care of my body you know sticking to the basics I I like to talk about you know different ways of being well and I think the thing that often goes quickly is the basic stuff self-care you know taking care of my body taking care of my mind eating right um staying connected to myself first and foremost and in doing that I think it creates a healthy space for my other relationships with my partner with my children with my business with my um you know audience that I'm building so I think probably again if I could summarize the the best thing that I can do for in this sort of assessment is to continue to just to take care of myself and all of this and not lose sight of who I am. Take care of yourself and do not lose sight of who you are, ever. Wise words from Dr. Tammy Lewis Wilborn. And I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you did, please do make sure to subscribe to my Apple Podcast channel and give the Babecast a review so that we can stay connected. Until next time.